Parenting is tough. And most of the time, you'd probably rather not talk about it. But we want you to know something. It's okay. We can talk. On the day your child was born, if you searched frantically around the hospital for any type of brochure that talked about how to raise your child, we can talk. Right? Babies should come with an owner's manual. Right. There's the whole what to expect when you're expecting. How about what to expect when you bring the child home because you are so scared you're going to mess it all up and this is your bundle of joy and you just want to do everything right type book book. They'd have to shorten the title. True. But speaking of bringing your kids home from the hospital, if on that day you wished you were in an armored tank rather than your Ford Fiesta, we can talk. If you ever looked at your child and asked this question, do I look stupid to you? We can talk. And if your child has ever innocently looked back at you and said, yes, you do, we can talk. I said that to my mom once. You called your mom stupid? Once. Oh, how about this? If you've ever hummed the theme song to Dora the Explorer while at work, we can talk. It's just so catchy. I know, right? Oh, if you've ever said these words, don't make me turn this car around, we can talk. And if you've ever had to turn the car around because you've left your children at home, we can talk. You forgot your children? I'm not proud of it. Dads, if you've ever fallen asleep while playing Barbies, dress up, or at a tea party, we can talk. If you start to see your mommy and daddy time has become less and less, we can talk. Yeah, and if that's not the case, please tell me your secret. If you've ever almost driven off the road because you're swatting at the back seat, we can talk. And if you've ever actually driven off the road while you're swatting at the back seat, we can talk. You've driven off the road? <sighs> that was hard one to explain to my insurance agent and my wife. If you've ever promised your kids the moon and you just couldn't deliver, we can talk. If you feel like it's too late and you've already blown it, we can talk. If you didn't have a great example of parenting from your own parents and you're struggling to change your family tree, we can talk. If you desperately want to teach your children the Word of God, but you're afraid they're going to ask you why you're not living it, we, we can, can talk. talk. And last but not least, if the word down has become an abnormally large part of your daily vocabulary, sit down, quiet down, calm down, just, just, just dial it down, get, get, get down. We can talk. Because the truth is, parenting is tough and we need all the help we can get. As parents, it's our job to build a foundation for our children, and we need all the wisdom that's out there. So sit back and relax. Know that you are in good company as we see how God wants us to raise our children in the direction they need to go. So we can talk. In fact, if you want to talk more about what you hear today, we have a class that meets. A group of people get together on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock to talk about this exact subject, so check it out. The ushers can help you. The information booth will tell you exactly where that is. And I happen to know that the people that lead that, she is a wonderful baker, and there's food there. Sunday morning at 9, so check it out. So we can talk. Let's talk about raising children. Let's talk about raising hope. Now, it's true that Raising Hope actually is the name of a sitcom on the Fox network. It features a 23-year-old single man who is raising a toddler with the help of a very strange family. They're rather weird. The reason the family is helping him is that, is that that child is a result of 
him and a woman in a one-night stand, and she is no longer around because she was executed for being a serial killer of the people she dated. Great premise, huh? You say, wow, that's weird. Some of you here are saying, no, that sounds natural to me. That's normal. Pam and I were married for five years before we had our first child, and before that, I could have told you what I thought normal was. Now I'm not sure at all what normal is. If you'd have asked me to write an article before we had children, I'd have done some research and I would have entitled the article, Ten Commandments for Raising Children. By the time we went through our first bout of the terrible twos, the title of the article would have changed to Some Slight Suggestions for Hanging with a Preschooler. By the time we got into middle school, the title would have been, How Did I Get So Stupid? And by the time we went through a couple stretches of high school with our kids, the title of that article would have been, It's Not Hell, But You Can See It From Here. (laughs) I just want to wear a t-shirt that says, I survived. So on... January 15th, 1981, our daughter was born, our first child, and she came with so much hope. But i got to be really honest with you, by the time we got through the child-rearing things and into the midst of it, I became sometimes very helpless and hopeless. There was this, this stretch between Walnut Creek Middle School and McDowell graduation that my daughter must have said to me at least over 100 times, you have ruined my life. And I wanted to say back to her, back to you, ditto, sweetie pie. You ruined mine. But I will tell you that I would not trade those years for any pretty, orderly, made-to-order, perfected plan because there really isn't one. So how how do you raise hope? It's important that we talk about it in here, in this setting. You say, well, I'm I'm not a parent. I don't have, my kids are gone. It's important. I'll tell you why. It was never intended for a, a single parent or even a home that has a mother and a father to do this privately. It was actually created so that we would do that in community. The raising of the children should happen in community. All of us are to be involved in that. And this morning, I would say with incredible and deep gratitude to so many of you that spoke into my children's lives, what a difference you made, and the support you gave them, especially in their tough moments, and there to congratulate them in those good moments, and how you spoke to Pam and to me and encouraged us and supported us through some really tough times. We could not have done it without you. The problem is this, that if we try to do it by ourselves, we have this family tree we've come from, and in this family tree, there is just some strange things that come with that, that if we're by ourselves, we'll repeat those things, but with community, we're able to get a clarity, a reflection, a picture that says, wait, 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 this needs to change, because you know, you know you do not want your kids to show up and look like Uncle Grump or Grandma Weirdo. You know that. And so the community comes to assist in raising hope. So when it comes to parenting, 
when, when that child is put in your arms and you look at that child, what, what's that child there for? What, what's the issue? What's the deal? What's, what's happening with that child? And we need to understand that because it's the very center of why we do what we do. And what's the goal? The goal is this, when you have this child, and it's this, to provide a space to occupy. When I was entering seventh grade, my parents took my two brothers, myself and my sister, and they moved us from Liverpool, New York, right outside Syracuse to Springfield, Missouri. And so we, we entered into this, the, the land of Springfield, Missouri, and when we got there, there was already a house all ready for us. The schools were all ready to enroll the Reisner kids, and there were already groups of, of families ready to take us in as friends. And the reason that happened is because my parents had been there already. They had already began to scout the area, already creating a space so that we would occupy that and take up residency. So when one of the wisest men on this earth, and probably the most wise other than Jesus Christ, when he said these words in Proverbs 13, 22, we need to understand. He said, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. That word inheritance is more than just he leaves you a lot of bucks, a lot of money, a car, a boat. What it means is that he actually, the word means to leave a space. That the, the job of a parent is to enter into life ahead of his children or her children and to be in that space to dig out what is valuable and from that establish healthy friendships and values to live by and confidences to stand upon and dreams to dream. And to take that child into that space and say, here's what I've left for you and it's safe in here, grow in here and expand it out for your children and your children's children and continue to expand that which has such great value. And the question is, what is it that has value? Around 515 B.C., the nation of Israel had already been transported to the kingdom of Babylon, and there they'd been in exile, and they came back around 515 B.C., and there they are building the walls around Jerusalem, rebuilding them up, and rebuilding the temple, and beginning their worship expressions. The problem is that it sounds empty that it is more expression than it is confession. It is, it is more routine than it is relationship. And they say, oh God, God, we're crying out to you. We're doing the sacrifices. We're doing all we need to be. And we're just, we're not sensing you. We're not getting your presence. We don't feel your favor. Where are you? And so God responds by sending them a prophet named Malachi. And Malachi says on God's behalf, you got the expressions, but you don't have the heart because there's some things missing in your life. And so he, with great candor, confronts them. And one of the issues they're dealing with is this. He said, you are marrying outside of your faith, and you're taking on their gods and moving in with Jehovah God, these other gods, and you can't do that. You can't bring those idols in because those are not gods. And what they do, they actually take you and pull you away from Jehovah God. To make matters worse, to, to get to that spot, to be able to marry these, these Gentile sexy ladies that you're after, he says, what you're doing is that you are divorcing the women of your youth, the wife of your youth. And so he says, point blank, God says to you, I hate divorce because it's so incredibly violent. It will tear you apart. It will tear your family apart. And he says, and one of the worst things about this is the violent impact that it has on children. 
And with that in mind, he declares why we have children in our lives. So Malachi says in Malachi 2, did he not make them one, talking about man and wife, with a portion of the Spirit in their union? When you get married, the Holy Spirit himself is in that vow, in that union. And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. The whole thing to becoming one flesh will eventually come to the place where a child is produced and God says, that child belongs to me. So the deal is this, when Christy came along, and honestly, this is what happened. When, when Pam gave birth in the evening, I think it was on a Thursday evening, she made me turn off. They were having t football on that night and made me turn it off, so I had to watch her have the baby. And so we did that. And, and then I saw Christy, and I thought, yeah, I got a kid. What am I going to do with a kid? I'm, I'm, at that moment, I'm about age 26. I, I never had a kid. I just, I don't know what, we've been, what am I going to do? So I went back home. I leaned back in a recliner, and I said, oh, God, what do I do with this thing? What am I going to, what? It's, it's, I don't know what. It's, it's, it's loud at one end and irresponsible at the other. What am I going to do? <laughs> what God has intended for me to do with Christy is to find the space to lead her into and guide her, a place of value and health. And in doing so, here is where she needs to end up. If I do my job right, she will discover in that process that she will come in contact with her creator and become the apple of his eye. And that word, that phrase in the scripture, apple of his eye, actually literally means the little man in the pupil, which simply means that when you get close enough to someone that you can see your own reflection in their eye, that's apple of the eye. That God said, Reisner, you got this girl, Christy Nicole Reisner, and your job is to lead her through life so that she ends up in this face-to-face -face confrontation with God and can see him. She's so close to him. I want you to get her face-to-face. -face. If you don't take anything else out of here today, it's this. The reason you parent is to get that child face-to-face -face with her or his creator because that's what we're designed to do. So the question is, what do you do? Now, my parents weren't perfect, but I so am thankful for what they did. My parents believed in prayer, getting close face-to-face -face with God, talking to him, but they didn't do it alone. They always brought the kids with them and said, here, you're going to sit here and pray with us. Oh, man, that's so boring. No, you're going to pray. And so half the time I'd fall asleep, but I was getting the idea. They would teach us to pray. They would study the scriptures because in the scriptures there's a revealing of God. In fact, it said it's the very breath of God. And so they would say, here, you, you read this and you tell me what you think. And they would teach us about the scriptures. They'd put us in classes about the scriptures. they put us in groupings of people that talked about the scriptures. So that I would be face-to-face -face with God. They'd say, okay, now, this is Sunday. And for us, Sunday is the Sabbath day. And the principle of the Sabbath still abides, that the Sabbath is the face-to-face -face day with your Creator. Nothing is more important than your face-to-face -face encounter on that day. Therefore, we don't do anything much other than we go face-to-face -face with God. No, you can go out and play football after church. You can do whatever, but you're still going to be face-to-face -face with God. So they would take us to worship services, and that time we had Sunday night services, and we go to that. But the whole day was continuous, soaking in God's love and reaffirming that he would take us through the week so that throughout the week we're set to go so that it's not just trying to slip Jesus into an activity around all my other stuff, but as a reminder, 
reminder always that I am face to face with Jesus and so that all my decisions are made being face to face with Jesus. Everything had to do with face to face with Jesus and not in a religious way. Now, there was around me all that stuff about legalism and about you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do that. But I'm so thankful they got us to the place where they said, no, no, it's your relationship, it's your face to face. And so my, my parents would always say, if you're going to make a decision, always ask the question, how would Jesus feel about this? I hated that because I had to really think about it. And so my first job, I've told you before, was I put on a chicken costume and stood outside a mini pearl chicken trying to get people in. And my first paycheck, my first paycheck came and my dad sat me down. He said, okay, that is great. Now, here's the deal. 10% of that belongs to Jesus. Because he said it's his, and if you want to be face-to-face, you got to obey that. And, and here's the good part. When you do that, he'll make the 90%, the 90 cents out of the dollar, he'll make it work more than having the whole dollar itself. So it's just face-to-face with Jesus. We had curfews. My friends didn't have such curfews. We had curfews. And I said, why do I have to have a curfew? Because, and you've probably heard this line, because nothing good happens after a certain hour. Dad, well, he is right. It doesn't, but still, you don't let him know that. He said, but, but, but it'll, it'll, it'll interfere with what's happening with you and Jesus, so you've got to be in at this hour. And I want to know who you're hanging with because who you're hanging with has an effect upon you and Jesus. And, and at times he would ground us and he'd say, that's the deal you got to because it's got to, we've got to keep you face to face with Jesus. You may not have used those words, but that was the intention. Everything dealt with face-to-face with Jesus. And even those moments where he'd say, all right, now you're getting older, and here's this space in front of you that we've scouted out, and now we're going to let you go out and make your own decisions. So here you go. Make your own decisions. You'll get your own consequences. But always ask the question, how would Jesus deal with this? Do that. The way my parents guided us was dictated about, by what goal they wanted. And our activities, all the, all the activities that we had offered to us were never allowed to dictate our face-to-face with Jesus. My concern for us today is this, that we've got so many activities that we can be involved in that Jesus is just the thing we do for an hour and a half on Sunday morning. And maybe slip him in if we can get to youth group or whatever. And, and what happens is the activities are just drowning out the face-to-face. And the one thing that I did understand as I look back at what my parents did was this. It wasn't so much whether and how well I did playing wide receiver or first chair trumpet or second chair trumpet or third chair trumpet. It was what kind of man will I be? And the goal was, I want you to be a man that is face to face with Jesus. There were people who asked my parents, and I'm going to tell you right now, they didn't do everything perfectly, but the people would come to them and say, your kids are grown now, and, and all of them seem to love Jesus. Why, why, how did that happen? Because we know they struggled. And my parents said, we simply prayed a, 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 a prayer every day for them, and the prayer was this. Father, we ask that they will love Jesus more than anything else. And then they showed us how, and they guided us that way. See, parents were guides. You know, you don't take your eight-year-old out on a boat on Lake Erie to go perch fishing 
and get him out in the middle of the lake and then have another boat pull up and you get off onto the other boat and say to your eight-year-old, you're on your own, have fun. See you back at the dock. You say, no, you don't do that. Why? Because they need a guide. Your son or daughter is not your BFF. It's not your pal, not your buddy. Because when they start to whine, and they will because you did, oh, don't do that. You're being mean to me. If your best buddies, okay. But if you're a guide, you say the most important thing is where I need to get you, not what we're feeling here. Because you're going to whine a lot about what I tell you, but I need to get you here. That's why Solomon said these words. The rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left to himself disgraces his mother. Wisdom says you don't leave your child to himself to figure out life. You don't do that. But he said instead you need to use the rod. Now some of you go, yeah, baby. It's the old Bill Cosby thing, I brought you in this world and I can take you out. Well, understand what that rod means. It is actually the shepherd's rod. It is the rod that was used for protection and guidance. So if, if the goal is to get our children face to face and have this encounter with God, their creator, then there is a process. And what's that process? Provide correction. Provide guidance, provide protection, provide a way. How do you do that? Well, first of all, provide direct instruction. You've got to be clear. When God wanted us to know his will, the first thing he did is he spoke it. Then he had us write it down, and then he showed up and showed us how to do it. So he said, I want you, as you are leading your children, to give them Direct instruction, which is a whole lot better than because I told you so or because we've always done this. Explain why. See, I, I grew up in my family tree. I grew up in a holiness movement. And the holiness movement had a lot of, we don't do these things. We don't do these things. And one of the things we did not do was we did not dance. When I was in third or fourth grade, I had to take a note to the teacher to get me out of square dancing because that's so seductive. You don't know how troublesome dosy does can be. <laughs> I did the Freddy in sixth grade at a school party and got grounded because that is so horrible. That's the Freddy, folks. So dancing was a big deal because they thought it would lead to other things. In fact, we had this standing joke as I got older. The reason that our church did not believe in premarital sex is because it would lead to dancing. <laughs> so when Christy was in middle school, she came to us and said, I want to go to the school dance. Can I go? And immediately I said, no. She said, why not? Because... Because I'll get back to you why. I had to sit down with Pam and go, why, why, why? And then I had to just get honest with her. So I sat down with Christy. I said, honey, and this was in a series of, of conversations. And it was this, honey, I was in middle school and I'm a guy. And I know what they want. They want to touch you. Don't let them touch you. Honey, what... With the dancing thing, if we let you go, you can dance, but don't let them touch you. When you're dancing, don't smile because they'll think you can, they can touch you. 
And if you dance, don't make any movements that will say to him, hey, come hither and touch. Don't do that. No bumping, grinding, none of that stuff. And don't wear anything that will say to the guy, oh, she wants me to touch her. Honey, don't let that man touch you. Have a nice dance. We let her go. But I wanted her to understand my fear. I want to tell you that when you give instructions, try to make those as clear as possible, and not because it's just been that way, or the church doesn't believe in it, or just explain it to them. Make it clear. That's what God did for us. In that process, then, you're going to have to be effectively involved in in restricting and denying. See, honestly, your daughter will not die if she doesn't make it to the school dance or to Jason's party. She thinks she's going to die. Her social life will collapse, and she will be a hermit the rest of her life because she didn't make it to the dance. She will cry. She will scream. She will try. I hate you. She'll try all of that, but she will not die. When Israel rebelled against God, God came back and said, you cannot go into the promised land. You can't go. I'm restricting your freedom. You cannot go there. In our lives, there must be those moments where we say you can't, because here's the deal. If our goal is to get someone face-to-face with Jesus, the greatest buffer between us and Jesus is our own selfishness and self-centeredness, and that must be confronted. And it is not easy to confront, and many times it takes denial and restrictions to get a child to recognize their self-centeredness and their selfishness. And believe me, when you confront that, they will want to fight. And I love Dr. James Dobson's words. He said, when your child's looking for a fight, give it to them. Proceed to fight and stand your ground. I'm going to ask Mark Hogue to join me here on the platform. Mark is part of this community of faith and part of the medical community. He's a neuropsychologist here in town. And, and Mark and Becky, his wife, and Pam and I had a chance for a meal together a couple weeks ago. And while we were discussing things, we began talking about raising children. And he had this great story. I said, man, you've got to share this story. And so he said, well, first I need to go check with my daughter because it involves her. And so you went and checked, and, and we're okay, right? We're good. We're good. Tell us a story. Good morning. Um, I did check with Sarah about this story, and uh, a couple things that she wanted me to remind everybody is that she was a she was committed to the Lord at that time, and really doing what what everybody tries to do, which is to walk with the Lord, but also to try to figure out how does that work in my day to day relationships. Um, as a psychologist, I really do hate when Freud is right, but when she was dating a, a guy named Mark. Um, because Freud says that you will, you know, that men will marry their mothers and women will marry their fathers. And so I always hate that. Um, she, she really had taken a, a vow of purity and she was very serious about that. Um, and also something to know about Sarah is that she's always been a very willful child. And I mean that in a, in a good way. Um, the Lord had always spoken to Becky and I about not crushing that, but directing it, because that's really what we're to do. And the other thing is that I took my job as the head of the household very seriously, not because I'm a great guy, and in fact, Becky is a much better parent than I ever will be, but because that's what God has called me to do. 
And the other thing to know, and I, I mean this in all respect to all the adolescents in the room, is uh, Carl Menninger one time said that, that uh, adolescence is just psychosis with a good prognosis. And so I knew that. So Becky and I were sitting in our family room one day on, on a Friday evening, and we were thinking of all the wonderful things that were going to happen this weekend when my daughter Sarah came. One other thing I used to say that I, that I, before I tell you this story, one of the things that, one of the rules in my house was that you were always allowed to argue with me or with my wife as long as there was respect and when you didn't call out my authority. Because if you did, you would lose. You had to. So with that as a background, Sarah came to the, dawned the, uh, the door of our family room one Friday evening when Becky and I were sitting there and she announced in a rather demonstrative, demonstrative way that she was going to leave now and go and spend the night with her boyfriend and sleep in a tent and then said, and there's nothing you can do about that. And then she wanted to let me know that everything was going to be okay. And she said, and nothing's going to happen. So I looked over at her mother, who was rather deer in the headlights thing, uh, just staring. Then I looked back, I, my chair was around. I looked back at Sarah and I said, well, you do have something right there, which is nothing's going to happen. So she really thought that we were on the same page. And she said, yes, exactly. Nothing's going to happen. And I said, no, Sarah, nothing is going to happen. You're not leaving the house. And she said, oh, yeah, I am. Lying in the sand. And then she said, there's nothing you can do about that. So at that time, I wanted to give her a little history lesson because parents do that. So I said, you know, Sarah, I'm going to remind you of something. I used to run a group home. For eight years, I lived 24 hours, seven days a week, and I got hit by chairs just about every day. And I'll tell you what's going to happen. If you move to the door, I will get up and I will bodily put you on the ground and I will sit on you all night until we figure this out. At which point her response, I cannot repeat here, and Pastor Jack asked me not to, but there were words that came out which my wife had never thought she knew. And then she declared that we were the worst people in the world and the worst parents in the world. And we were killing her. And we were ruining her life. And I said, don't go to the door because I'll get out of this chair. And if I get out of this chair, it's not going to be pretty. So she ran upstairs, slammed the door. And I looked at Becky and I said, well, that went pretty well, don't you think? And she was pretty still dumbfounded by the whole thing. So we prayed for her. And about a half hour, 45 minutes later, she came down all blotchy and apologized, very broken. And then the payoff. Sorry, I get emotional about that. She said, Dad, thanks for not letting me go. Because I was under a lot of pressure. And I had to stand there for her because that's what God told me to do. Not that I am promoting violence with your children at all. But sometimes God tells you that you've got to stand up for them to help them follow through with the things that they know that they have to do. And that's what he tells us to do. With that story in mind, let me just say this, that 
restrictions will not ruin your child's destiny, but very well could preserve your child's destiny. Which means this, that you cannot rescue your child from consequences. You can't stop the flow, the process. Real life says what you sow, you reap. It will happen. So when Angel comes down to you on 9 o'clock at night and, and she has a science project due, and you've told her now over and over again, don't wait till the night before, and she's known for weeks, and so she comes to you at 9 o'clock at night and says, I have a science project due tomorrow, and it's not done, and you say, well, how far along are you? Well, I haven't started. Now you have warned her. You've told her. Now you can do what you've always done, which is you jump in and you do it for her till 3 in the morning, or you do it with her till 3 in the morning. But, or you can step back and look at the consequence and just say to her, I told you I wasn't going to help you again. You would have to do this on your own. So you're on your own. Now she'll either work on it and be really tired the next morning and wish she had done it, or she won't do it. But then you say, but if she doesn't do it, then she gets a bad grade. If she gets a bad grade, then she may get a bad grade for the year. If she gets a bad grade for the year, it'll affect her GPA. If it affects her GPA, then she won't get the college scholarship. If she doesn't get the college scholarship, then she won't go to college. If she doesn't go to college, then she's going to end up meeting a loser. And if she meets a loser, she's going to join a cult. And if she joins a cult, then she's going to end up panhandling at Times Square. I can't let that happen. Let me just say a prophetic word for you. Chill. <laughs> Let the consequences take their place. So Bobby comes home late at night, and the next morning he doesn't set his alarm, and he sleeps through, misses the bus, and he comes to you like he always does and says, oh, I missed the bus, I'm just so tired, so write me a note and take me to school. Now you have a choice to keep doing that, or you can say, no. I'm not writing you the, all, that note that, you know, that note that you always write that, that covers everything. He's not feeling well. Just say, I'm not going to write a note, and you have to find your own way to school. And if you do find your own way to school, don't try forging a note because I will find out. He says, well, wait, if you do that, then I get detention. I'll end up on Saturday detention, and I have work hours on Saturday, and I need to work, and I'll lose the money, and I can't lose the money because I'm saving for the car. And you just say, so? Because the bottom line is this, that when Bobby gets old enough and he sleeps through getting to his job, you're not going to be there to write a note and say, dear boss, please excuse Bobby. It's not going to happen. Let the consequences take their place. You say, but that sounds so mean. Yeah. <laughs> it is. No, it's not. Because here's the thing that balances it all out. What makes this word is, work is this, provide blessings. What my kids had to learn, what I had to learn as a child, is the balance between fear and love. As a follower of Jesus, I have to learn fear and love. Fear says that there are consequences and they will hurt. Love says if you go the other direction, there's this incredible favor and blessing that you don't want to miss. So you get to choose. It's the same way in following God. He says, you rebel against me, you got pain. You follow me, I will bless you, and I will honor you. You get to choose. And when it comes to the blessing, I love these words. In the book of Numbers, it says this. 
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. As a grandparent, as a parent, as an uncle or an aunt, or someone who has influence on a child's life, I encourage you to pray that prayer over those children. But not only pray it, but use it as an example, as a pattern. The Lord bless you and keep you. It simply means this. I want to show you favor and protection. Favor does not mean spoil, but if you look at when God gave favor, it was always a wonderful gift of God wrapped up, ensconced, if you will, in his loving presence. Do the same for your children. Wonderful, favorable gifts wrapped up in your presence with, with them. So that our kids knew that every Easter, since they were born, that Pam, on Easter Sunday morning, would have these incredible Easter baskets prepared for them. She still does. She ships them off. I didn't get one. But the kids got one. I'm not bitter. But they know. They knew that on the first day of school, when they'd come home from school, no matter what grade, Pam had something special for them. It was this favor wrapped up in her presence with them. This wonderful expression of love. Periodically, Pam would get Christy out of school and say, you're not going today. Where are we going? She'd go, we're going shopping. Don't tell anybody. Please excuse Christy, she's not feeling well. <laughs> there were times that I was able to go on a two or three day trip. I'd grab one of the boys and I'd say, come on, we're going to go on a trip. We're just going to spend time together. The question is, when your children leave home, what will they miss? There's got to be something they miss, those times at the table. There's those times when you did this thing, when you gave them that gift. They've got to say, ooh, that is so great. I love being with my parents. I love being with the family. There's an expression of love. Now with that love comes protection. They got to know that, that I will care for them no matter what. Christy's first date, I said, you're going on a date. This is your official date. I want to meet the boy. No. You'll embarrass me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's my job. So she brought him in, and she, I know she was standing up on the steps listening. I sat him down and I said, so you're taking my daughter out tonight? Yes, sir. There are only three women I love in this world, my mother, my wife, and my daughter. So if you treat her like you think I would treat her, if you don't touch her, if you get her home on time, if you treat her with respect as you know I would treat her, We'll be fine. If you don't, and I did say this, if you don't, I will hunt you down and kill you. <laughs> yes, sir. I wanted her to hear that because I wanted her to know I've got you. Give your children that blessing of favor and protection. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Encourage and support. The scripture says, train up a child in the way he or she should go, and when she's old, you won't depart from it. That word means find their bent, find what they're good at, and guide them that direction. And then let your face shine on it. 
So find what they want to do and what they're, they want to be involved in for, a, for that season that's ahead. And, and not a whole lot of things. I'm telling you because the problem is when they do a whole lot of things, you can't let your face shine on all of them because they're way too busy. So find out what they're really good at and restrict it to that thing that they want to do and then be there. Find a way to be there. Because it's important to them and it's important to you, it will reinforce the value in them and the abilities and the skills. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Give attention and harmony. Chuck Swindoll tells this great story about being with his granddaughter and he was busy doing something, and she walked up, and she said, Grandpa, 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 I, can I go to him? I want to go here, and I want to do and can, can you help me with this? And he finally said, Honey, 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 and he grabbed her face, and he said, Talk slowly. She reached over and grabbed his face, and she said, Listen slowly. <laughs> Find the moments to listen slowly. And generally, those are in the informal times. Those are in those moments that, that you're putting that child to bed and you listen to their life and, you, and you, you care for them, but you listen to what's coming from them. It's the time at the dinner table. I gotta tell you that the most fun I think we've had in our life is when all the kids were home and we're eating together. And I'm hearing stuff that's so great. Don't lose those dinner times. I don't wanna eat. Sit down and eat and like it. There, there were those times that I would just take Christy on a date and we would just talk and it was so much fun. And I would teach her how a man should treat her so she has a guide. And I'd listen to her talk about all the stuff at school. As my boys got older, each of them in their senior year of high school, I spent every Wednesday morning at Burger King. We'd go to Burger King before school. I'd buy them a cheap breakfast that's not very healthy. And I just say, tell me what's going on. And, and a lot of times it would just be grunts. <laughs> but sometimes suddenly there would be this flowing of ideas and thoughts. And I go, oh, it's so great. I miss Burger King with my kids. I miss Starbucks with Christy. I miss those dates. Find those moments where you can just listen. Don't let them get by. And it's so simple, so easy to just get going with your schedule. Unscheduled time always leads to the urgent, not the important. Say, ah, we got a date. We're going to do this, and nothing's going to stop me. And there were times I'd get phone calls. Hey, Pastor, we've got this meeting, and I'd have to say, I've got a really important engagement. I missed a Wednesday night service here once because I went to a track meet for my son. And it went longer than I thought. And I knew that it would be more important to him than to you here. Because in the long run, he's the one that's going to take care of me when I get old. You're not. <laughs> Find those moments. Give attention. And in, and, and in that also is the harmony at home. I'll just simply say this. Teach your children how to deal with conflict and to bring peace and forgiveness at home. You, you, you've got to have a place where they can feel secure. And I'll tell you this, if you keep it that way, their friends will want to hang out at your house because there's peace. Finally, speak blessings often through your actions, through your words. 
your kids are in, in, in a world and in a school that just tears at them and, and tears at them and, 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 and just ruins who they are inside. And it takes a lot of affirmation to build them back up. And you've got to be the person that does that. N not false stuff, but real stuff. So my father is in the throes of dementia. And it's to a place now that probably we're going to have to, they're going to have to put him in a place that they can care for him because it's just draining my mom. And some of you in this place understand this. So I've been thinking back about my dad, how he was before he became a shell of a person. And I thought about how he raised this, and it just gives me a smile. I, I remember when he would take his belt off to meet my rebellion. But when we were done, he'd cry because it did hurt him. Not more than it hurt me, but it did hurt him. I watched as they would scrape money together because we weren't we didn't have a whole lot, but they, somehow they scraped it together so we could take a trailer down and and park on the on the sands of of the Outer Banks. And, and what a great time that, that he made possible! I could hear him at night when I'd come in from a date, and he'd still be kneeling in an empty room, crying out to God that I would, and my brothers and sisters would, would be protected by God and that our values would be in place and that we would still love Jesus with our whole heart. I think of all of those moments. I think of the fact that my parents, in my mind, were at almost every important event I can think of. My first home run, my dad was there. That was also my last home run, so that was a good thing. <laughs> my football games, he, he was there. My trumpet solo at Christmas, he was there. My baptism, he was there. My graduation, he was there. He was so involved in helping us in our, in our wedding. And then, and then when Dustin was born and six months later, we thought we were going to lose him in the hospital by severe infection. And they were surrounding us with the presence. So it's an amazing thing now that my dad can really can't really carry on a conversation. You, you, you think he's trying to form the words, but the words that come out are not the words that match what he's trying to say. And it's, it's a tough thing, but it's interesting because when I'm with my dad, sometimes we'll say, Dad, can you pray? And then suddenly, it's like what is down in here goes beyond the feebleness of the mind. And the Spirit speaks, and he prays with such preciseness and presence of the Almighty, as if nothing had ever happened. And by the time he's done, he's once again done what a parrot should do. By the time he's done, he's got me face to face with Jesus. That's how we raise hope. So my encouragement to us is let's talk about it. Let's support each other. Let's encourage each other. Let's give counsel to each other. And in doing so, we will raise hope. Would you stand? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.